Okay, so I am the friend. I'm the friend who, you could call me the naysayer of, of my friend's new girlfriends. When my friends get a new girlfriend, I'm the naysayer when they get a, a girlfriend. And, and, and so, so what I mean by that is I'm often the friend that when they start dating a girl, I'm usually the one saying, do, are, do, are you sure you want to keep dating her, right? Like, now, now listen, I am truly trying to look out for my friends, like when I say that. But no one ever likes when you look out for them like that, right? They always take me going, are you sure about this? They always take it as much more judgmental uh, than I mean it. And, and here's what's really messed up. A lot of them end up marrying the girl, uh, or even before they marry, and they tell the girlfriend I said this about them, okay? That's where I'm like, come on, man. And so, uh, so, I, so I've got all these friends who married these girls who I asked these questions about, and these girls know that at some point I was like, do you really like her? Like, do you actually like her? And, and, and so again, these, these questions come off as judgmental, and probably sometimes, if I'm honest, I, I am being a little bit judgmental, but I, I truly hope, usually when I'm asking these questions, it comes from a good place, because I had friends when I was on, on the dating scene uh, many years ago uh, that knew and saw how love and romance and all that would blind me and often I'd be pursuing someone that was just not good for me and I had a, a friend in particular who would often just be like are you sure man I don't know if that if she's the the right gal for you to pursue and so I'm just trying to pay it forward to my friends right I'm just trying to help them out right but again it always comes across as as much more ju judgmental than I want it to be and again, sometimes it's because I was being judgmental, but I realize there are parts of our culture and our society where even if you're good friends, even if you're very close friends, that if you ask a question, it's just a little, it's a step too far. And I think part of that is because our, our society is very much built on this idea of individualism. Like we as individuals, individuals are like kings over our lives. And anytime another individual tries to like kind of get in there and kind of have any kind of bearing on your life, or even if it's just advice, even if it's just good pointed questions or whatever, it seems judgmental. It seems wrong. Like it's almost like a, it's, a, it's a social faux pas in our culture to, to ask questions like that. And, and here's what I've noticed about the Bible. The Bible is kind of like that too. Like if you really read the Bible and you even let the Bible read you, as a lot of people say, you're going to find that what I, how I am the naysayer to my friends in different ways and how I push on my friends with these different questions, like you're, the Bible will feel like it's doing that to you. At times when you're reading scripture, you're going to see that it says, hey, that, that's not good for you as a human. You're, or, or you're going to see it say, hey, you got to be careful with that. Or you need to know that that's not a good match for you. Now, the Bible doesn't really do this with dating specifically. A sign just fell and I just saw it. Um, the, the Bible doesn't do this really with dating, but it does it with all kinds of things. And it's because the biblical authors knew that often that the things that we as humans want, the things that our hearts want, or the voices that we like listening to are actually not good for us. But they might even seem good for us. And so the biblical authors want to say, hey, I know that thing seems good, but it's not good for you because of what God has for you. And, I th and we're going to see that kind of dynamic happening in the passage that we're in today. We're going to see John referencing a group of people that were going around 
teaching some things that seemed good to a lot of the people that were hearing them. And John says, hey, what they're teaching is not good. You got to test what they're saying to make sure it actually is good. And so if you're new, we're in this uh, letter of 1 John, a book of the Bible. If you don't know, it's a letter that, that John or some think it was those that John had discipled or, or, or a group of people uh, connected to the John or the Johannian teaching. So those that really were discipled by John himself or those that came to know Jesus through the gospel of John and, the, and these kinds of things. And so I, 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 tend to, I tend to go back and forth with what I think it is. But either way, John is writing to this group of churches that are connected to him and he's trying to sort some things out with them. It seems that some sin has like slithered into their midst and is causing the people to sin. So he's writing this letter to say, hey, we don't sin. We don't do those things. But it also seems there's kind of these groups like separating and dividing from one another. There's different hints of that in this letter. And so he's, he's writing to clarify some things to, to keep the division from happening in different ways. And so we're going to be in today, we're going to be in that letter. We're going to be in chapter 4. And we're going to do basically four things. First thing we're going to do, we're just going to read chapter 4 of 1 John, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to look at three things in particular. The first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the, the problem that John was addressing in this particular passage. Okay? The second thing, we're going to look at the tools that John gave those churches to, to deal with the problem, the tools that he gave them. And then we're going to see how all of that, everything happened in the passage, we're going to see how that, tr how that translates to today, how that connects to us, a church, 2,000 years later in a very different context, okay? So, so that's where we're going today. Let me start us off by reading the passage we're in. I'm going to read all six verses, and then we'll just hop into those three different things. Here's what it says in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you've conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Let me take a drink. Summertime preaching, it's like I got to get a fan or a handkerchief. I gotta get, stay hydrated or wear shorts. Um, I just don't wanna traumatize you with those chicken legs, so. Okay, so the first thing, the first thing that we have to look at uh, here is the problem that John is addressing here in this passage that I just read. Uh, there are spirits to test. There are these false prophets, he references, and then the Antichrist has shown up again in this letter. We saw earlier in the letter, the Antichrist has shown up again in this letter. And so, uh, so if you remember, when we previously encountered that term in this letter, we saw that there, there was this problem 
of this bad teaching that was from some group of people that seemed to be splitting up the church. And this is in chapter 2 of 1 John. And, and we aren't quite clear what the teaching is. It's not completely clear. We can know little aspects of it, but we don't know it completely. And so he gives this group of people that are going around teaching uh, this, th- this bad teaching. They, he gives this group the name Antichrist and Antichrists. And uh, I know many of you know this, but the, the term Antichrist is a loaded term in, our, uh, in evangelicalism, but it's been a loaded term and a complex term throughout Christianity, really throughout the 2,000 years of Christianity. And so if you want to deep dive on that term, how it's used in this letter, I would say go back, find that sermon uh, from a few weeks ago. We took a real deep dive. We're not going to take a real deep dive today. But essentially what we, what we realized and found out was this term antichrist, it's only used in the entire Bible in 1 John and 2 John. And it's not used as this term to mean some political figure at the end of time that takes over history. It's not used in 1 John or 2 John that way. And so that means it's not used in the Bible in that way at all. How it is used in 1 John and 2 John is there's this group of people that are going around and they're teaching something that denies some aspect of Jesus's Christness. Now, if you don't know this, Christ, when we call Jesus the Christ, that's actually a title. It literally means the anointed one or the chosen one. And the idea of Jesus being the Christ is he is the chosen one. He is the sent one. He is the son of God. He's been sent from God. He is the the divine king who's come to earth and taken on flesh. And even in early Christianity, this this term Christ begins to have a more robust meaning among the Christians. And so this antichrist group... And I call them a group because he uses the term plural. And then even in 2 John, when he uses the term singularly, he uses it to refer to a plural group of, I think he says, deceivers. And so there's some group of people that are going around teaching something, and they came from the church. They were part of the Johannian churches. The church is connected to John. And so they came from the church, and they're going around, and they're teaching something that denies some aspect of Jesus's Christness. Again, we're not totally sure. The the passages don't say. Some people say, well, you know, they they link it to various uh, different religions of the time, and, and it could have exactly been that. But we don't know for sure because the letter isn't clear. And so we get to this passage in chapter 4, and he uses this term again, and he he even kind of says, look, this Antichrist group, they're a bunch of false prophets as well, which is a term used throughout the New Testament to say bad teachers, people teaching false things about God. And he says because there's this group of false prophets who are the Antichrist group, you got to test the spirits. Okay, so here's what I think is happening and what John is saying in chapter 4. I'm going to kind of just briefly say that, and then we'll, we'll talk about this term spirit a little bit more. But I, see, I think this group of false teachers who John calls false prophets and antichrist, or antichrists in this letter, I think they were going around. I think they were teaching some things that was splitting up the church, causing the church to divide in different ways as we've seen hints of in this letter. And one of the ways I think, and there's, there's clues in this passage really, it seems like, that they were appealing to the Christians to get them to join their teaching is, I think they were going like, look, we have the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit in us is telling us to teach you these new things. The Holy Spirit is telling us to teach you these new things about God. And so what we're telling you is further new teaching from God. So, so come along with us because the Holy Spirit is appealing to us. Now, even if you do a, just a cursory study of Christian history, you'll find people were doing this very often in early Christianity in different kinds of ways. But you, you'll also find from just reading the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was a major part of their lives. Holy Spirit should be a major part of our lives. Amen, amen. And so, but you could just see because of we have this book and there's just different ways that Christian history has gone, that they were much more reliant on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and really, we should be as reliant, to be clear. And so they, they had probably various people at various times empowered by the Holy Spirit, saying different things. And so you could see how this is a confusing situation that has creeped up in this church that John feels like he has to address, that he has to go, hey, listen, don't listen to that group. That's not really the Holy Spirit, okay? And so, so John knows that, that they're not really hearing from the Holy Spirit, and he says, you've got to test the spirits then. Make sure whatever spirit they're claiming to have is right and true by testing it. Okay, so this term spirit in this passage and in the New Testament, it's actually kind of a confusing term. It's used in all kinds of ways throughout the New Testament. And even right here, the same word is getting used in different ways to refer to different things. And so there's kind of two larger schools of thought when it comes to this passage in particular. Not the whole New Testament, but this passage. Two, two schools of thought on what spirits means when, when John is saying, test the spirits. Uh, one school of thought is, is probably how most of us read it, where we just go, hey, there was these people who are literally influenced by evil spirits of some sort. And, and because they're influenced by these evil spirits or demons or whatever they are, they're, they're teaching these antichrist things. I think that's how I've read it uh, personally most of my life. Uh, the other school of thought, though, is that spirit could really refer to uh, human's own, like, human-influenced spirit. And part of why uh, scholars think that is because throughout John's letter, there are these juxtapositions. There are these words that are using in different ways, and they're comparing and contrast, right? There's the world that Jesus loves, and then there's the world that is anti to God, right, in this letter. There's, there's humans, and then there's our flesh, who's, like, opposed to God. Like, there's, there's these different things. And so some scholars think that, Really, he, uh, the author is, is doing the same, same kind of thing here with the term spirit. He's kind of going like, look, Christians have the Holy Spirit. People that, don't, aren't, that aren't Christians, that don't trust in Jesus, they have their own spirits. And so when John's saying test the spirits, he's like, yeah, test every human. And whatever spirit they have, test whatever it is. And you'll know if it's the Holy Spirit or, or not. And so... If I'm honest, I don't know. So those are the two schools of thought. I don't know from studying this. I lean towards the second one uh, because of the, the authors I respect most uh, lean that way. And so I think that's possibly what's going on, but I, I don't rule the first thing out. And so we can't know for sure, in my opinion, but either way, no matter what kind of spirit it is, whether it's a rebellious human spirit or whether it's an evil spirit influencing us as humans, uh, the problem's the same problem. There are people going around claiming some sort of spiritual authority that is actually anti-Christ in its teaching. And it's 
teaching itself is of this antichrist type spirit, which could mean a demonic spirit or it could just mean a rebellious human spirit. So that's the problem. What then is John's solution to this problem that the churches connected to him are experiencing? His solution is this. Put those spirits, put those teachings to the test. And in this passage, there's actually two tests. One test is more obvious, and one test is a little bit less obvious unless you're kind of paying attention. And it's almost a, the second test references an earlier test that, that John had been giving them. And so, so there's two tests that John gives them to test the spirits. The first one, the more obvious one, is in verses 2 and 3, which I'll reread. This is what he says. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, the first test, the test that John gives to very specifically deal with this very specific situation that that church was in, that we don't know all the details of, is he says, listen, you've got to test this Antichrist group by giving them a test with this doctrine that we as Christians over the last almost, I think, 2,000 years called the doctrine of the incarnation, which, which means the incarnation is this idea that, that God came in the flesh, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, the way we put it a lot here is we say Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% human. And it seems that the test that John wants the churches to give to all these people going around saying they have some sort of spiritual authority or that they're hearing from the Holy Spirit, he says it's really easy. Give them a test. Ask them if Jesus came in the flesh, right? And what he says is this group, they're going to say no to some sort of aspect to the incarnation. They're going to say no to that question in some kind of way. And he says, if they say no to that, that's how you know it's not good Christian teaching. That's how you know it's, it's not from God. Okay, so that's the first test. Like, do you, do you guys think Jesus came in the flesh? And they're going, no, we think really like he was a ghost or whatever the thing. And there was people that believed that kind of stuff back then. And still today, I think, too. So, um, so that, that's the first test. That's the obvious test. Verse 6, though, kind of helps remind them and us of the overall test they should pay attention to uh, to see if something is Christian teaching. So I'm going to reread verse 6. He says this, We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. So, to our Western ears, that verse sounds like the claim every single religious person on the planet makes, right? We have God, they don't. But what John is doing here is he's saying in another way what he said earlier in the letter, but what He's repeating an ancient Christian practice for them to practice, to hold on to. And that ancient Christian practice was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So if you don't know who, who the apostles are, the apostles were the 12 
uh, disciples that Jesus picked to, to train up, to disciple, okay? And so what happens after Judas betrays Jesus and kills himself? There's 11 left. And in Acts, what you see is you have the 11, and they pick another guy who had been around Jesus that whole time pretty much as well. And they become the 12 apostles of Jesus, Okay, And what you see in the book of Acts is that the, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we've seen in this letter, John promoting it. That's what he's promoting right here in verse 6. And, and so the apostles are going around in Acts teaching what Jesus taught. Going around teaching what he taught them to teach. This is what Jesus set up. This is part of what Jesus set up. When he took these guys, he very much was not just making them witnesses to his life and to the cross and to the resurrection. That's a huge part of it. But he was training them to be teachers like he was a teacher. So that when he was gone, they could go out and teach what he taught to the world. And so these 11 are going around, uh, these 12 really, by the, by, by the time we get to the replacement moment in Acts, they're going around, they're teaching what Jesus taught them. And so John, when he's saying we are from God, he, he, simply he's saying here, listen, these guys, this Antichrist group, they're not connected to Jesus. Please hear that we are teaching what God himself taught us to teach you. Okay, so, so verse 6 isn't John saying we are special, they're not, right? It's John saying, no, we are regurgitating Jesus' teachings. They are not. They're, they're making some new things up. We are regurgitating what Jesus taught us, which echoes what John said in the other Antichrist passage in 1 John. He, at one point, he says, hold on to what you heard from the beginning or remain in what you heard from the beginning. That's the ancient Christian practice of, of, of clinging to, of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, okay? So, the problem was there was these false teachers, false prophets, antichrists going around teaching something and things that denied aspects of Jesus's Christness, uh, and the and the solution was to test anyone and everyone and probably even ourselves by looking at good Christian teaching that was there from the start. That's the test. Okay, so that's what's going on in the passage, but. We have, to, we have to translate this passage to today. We have to translate to this uh, passage to today because John was speaking to a very specific problem with a very specific test at, at a very specific time, right? And even in this letter, he has other tests for them, right? So sometimes people read this passage like, this is the test. And it's like, he had like five tests in this letter, for these various things, love being one of the huge parts of the test. Like, does this person actually love? And so we, we, we have to be careful not to just go like, you know, every time we think someone's teaching something that's anti-Christian, it's like, do you think Jesus came in the flesh? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like the, the test won't exactly work uh, always in our time and place because he was speaking to a very specific situation. Uh, and even we, we can't quite grasp the fullness of, of how that test would have been working that day, uh, in that day. And so we have to translate it today. So how do we do that? I think we have to start by translating their problem to what our problem is, the, what the equivalent problem of today is. And so I think the, the problem that we see in chapter 4 
If we translated it to today, it would be this. There are lots of people and groups out in the world that want to obscure or change who Jesus is, and that will stop us from seeing him clearly. And I would even say sometimes they're purposely obscuring who Jesus is, and sometimes they're accidentally obscuring who Jesus is. And when they do that, it obscures us from seeing him clearly. It it stops us from having a a healthy relationship with God, right? In the world today, there are individuals, there are religions, there are cults, there are political groups, there are political figures, and even churches that obscure who Jesus is. And we have to watch out for them. In fact, John would say we have to discern that and put those groups, people, whomever, to the test. We have to test them. Okay? So I think that would be the equivalent problem. Let's translate the solution. I think to to translate John's solution today is this. We have to, when we encounter that kind of stuff, we have to be ready to dive into ancient Christian teaching in order to know the real Jesus from the fake Jesus or the obscured Jesus that many go around promoting. And and so to be clear, ancient Christian teaching is the Bible. Ancient Christian teaching is the Bible. And I mean the whole Bible. The apostles used the Old Testament thoroughly. Some would argue they used it more (laughs) because that was the book that they had at the time. We, and also the New Testament is the ancient Christian teaching, right? A lot of when the, the, the world at the time of Christians came together to put the Bible together, they were saying, does this have apostolic authority? Is this connected to the apostles who were connected to Jesus in some way? That's how they determined if it would get in. And so we, we know it's good Christian teaching. And so both the Old Testament and the New Testament is what the, the apostles and the early Christians used and held on to And so if we're going to combat that problem that happens modern day for us in different kinds of ways, that means you and I, we have to know the Bible well. Because there are so many people out there who who are trying to paint a picture of Jesus that best serves them in some kind of way. Or they've been deceived by others. And so they're just proclaiming a picture of Jesus that, that they were taught, that they think was right. And when that happens, we get an obscured, blurry vision of Jesus. We don't always get to see who the real Jesus. And I think this really matters to God, that we pay attention to this, that we put the spirits to the test in this way, that we put these people to the test in this way. And it's not because God is some dogmatic, religious warlord or something. It's because he cares about our relationship with him. That's why he doesn't want Jesus to be obscured. He cares about our relationship with him. All all deep relationships need trust. And so when you're in a deep relationship and someone casually lies to you or even has a deep lie or a deep secret, it really hurts the relationship in all kinds of ways. Because lying, really, when you lie to someone, you're obscuring who you really are. That's what's going on. And so what's happening in John's day was there were people going around lying about who God himself was. 
And in our day, people are doing the same thing. And if we don't test those lies with Scripture, with the ancient Christian teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament, if we don't test certain things like that, what, here's what will happen. You will end up not just having a relationship uh, like an obscured relationship with God where you're, you're not seeing him clearly and you're not having a, a relationship with, with who he truly is, you're actually going to end up having a, this weird relationship where you might have a relationship with God, but you also have a relationship with some ideology. That's what I've noticed in the American church. A lot of us, we, we have allowed others to come in, say they're teaching Christian things that are not Christian in any way. Maybe they're Christian in the sense that they're like, this is a good idea. Like, I don't know. Like, and and we, we allow ourselves to now jump out of a relationship with God and jump into a relationship with an ideology. And it's this ideology that becomes our new God. And so I, I think we really, we really have to heed this warning of John's and translate it today. And, and I think the test for us is to understand the Bible, understand the Old Testament, understand the New Testament. A few weeks ago, in that, same, in that other Antichrist passage, we talked at length about what this looks like because there's all kinds of questions that come up when we ask the question, what does it mean to hold on to what they heard from the beginning? And so go back to that if you want to listen to that as well. But this, what John thought, what I think is this book, it's a witness to who God is. It's a witness to who he is, but it's also somehow God's words to us as well. Like God is speaking to us through this as well. And this is how we're gonna know the real Jesus. I think what's amazing is the Holy Spirit actually does help us to know the real Jesus too. Like so many of us actually get to know Jesus without actually necessarily turning a page because the Holy Spirit is powerful and good and chasing us and trying to bring us into the family of God. So the Holy Spirit really does work, I think, letting us know who Jesus is. But because we live in this time and place where there's this brokenness and there's all kinds of spirits, whether they're human rebellious spirits, I also believe in the evil spirits, because we live in this time and place where there are all kinds of spirits, we have to test and make sure that we're actually hearing from the Holy Spirit at times. Because we can, we can be confused. I can be confused. We, and so we have to test the spirits. We have to test spirits because John had this really strong conviction that God himself was being obscured by the Antichrist teachings of that time. And, and his strong conviction, it, it came from the fact that, that John had the, a crazy life experience. He had a wild experience. He got to see Jesus in the flesh. He got to hang out with Jesus for three years. He got to know, like, this sounds crude, but he got to know, like, what times of day Jesus went to the bathroom. Right? Like, he was, like, hanging out with this guy all the time. And what he saw of Jesus was Jesus was someone who, who loved the world. Jesus was someone who restored the world. Jesus was someone, he saw Jesus like go out into society and find like the dregs of society and have meals with them. And then he even got to watch Jesus get like persecuted socially for that. And Jesus would constantly keep loving the dregs of society through that. In fact, he would go, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? When people would persecute him for that. 
And he, and he, he got to hear all these teachings from Jesus. He got to hear uh, what, what Jesus' kingdom, what God's kingdom was like. He got to hear what God was like. He got to hear what God was doing in that time and place through Jesus' teaching. And one of the teachings that Jesus would sometimes throw out to John and the other disciples was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed for the sins of the world. I'm going to be killed for your sins. And, and they all kind of didn't really take him seriously, it seems like, when you read those moments. And yet, John eventually finds himself at the cross and he sees this is what Jesus was talking about. Jesus said that he was going to be killed. And he said he was going to be killed for the sins of the world. And here he is on this Roman execution tool, bleeding to death, bleeding out, dying. And he began to go, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one that atones for the world's sins. But it didn't just stop there for John. He, he's like in, you know, he's mourning for three days. He's like, what just happened to me the last three years? This is a crazy way to lose a job. Like, like he's just like, what is going on? And then Jesus comes back to life. So he's, he, he talks to Jesus when he's alive. He eats fish with Jesus when he's alive. He hears more of Jesus' teachings. And then Jesus, right before he goes to kind of keep the, the history of salvation or the history of what God is doing in the world going by ascending to his father. Right before he goes, he says to John, he says to the, ele- the other 10 and probably the other one that was there and then a whole other big group of people right there. He says to them, hey, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses and I want you to be a witness and go out to the ends of the world being a witness to who I am, which was more than, you know, Jesus was just saying, like, hey, like, when people ask, be like, yeah, I saw this crazy thing one time. Like, he was giving them a new identity. He was giving them a new job. He was giving them a new vocation. He was saying, now you exist to help others see me through your words. And so John took this idea of being a witness very seriously. He realized that that. How well he witnessed was how well the world would see Jesus. And luckily he had the Holy Spirit, and every Christian that believes has the Holy Spirit, but he had the Holy Spirit to help him and guide him in that. But he took this very seriously. So when this group comes around and they're going like, hey, that's not really who Jesus is, John is going, this is dire. Some big things are at stake When this group is going around saying these things about Jesus, it's not just some kind of different religion they're forming. They are harming the witness of Jesus in the world. And so he comes up with these very extreme terms and he goes, they're antichrist. They're antichrist. Don't listen to them. Because he had this wild experience with Jesus where he gave him this new identity of being a witness. And he said, I have to take that seriously because it matters for the sake of the world. And so, church, I, I hope uh, that we could be a church that, and a people that test the spirits in healthy ways, in the ways that Scripture encourages us to. And I hope we could be a church that clings to ancient Christian teaching, ancient Christian witness, which is the Bible, so that we can see Jesus clearly and so that we can help others see Jesus clearly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you, uh, really, for your son, who is the ultimate witness, and then made a bunch more witnesses. 
God, I pray that, uh, yeah, I pray that this, this morning, I don't know, I, I think that sometimes these things that are in these passages that are so different than our time and place, it could be easy to be like, oh, that was nice. But God, I, I really pray that you, through your spirit right now, would kind of convict us about the different sort of antichrist teachings we've let obscure who you are. There are all sorts of ideologies. There are all sorts of people. There are all sorts of even like gifted teachers, God, I think, that we kind of listen to and cling to. And, uh, and it obscures who you are. They tell us things about you that are not true. And so, God, I, I pray you just give us the ability to, to discern that well, to test that well, to, to dive into your words well, God. I, I even pray this, God. So often, God, the way we read this thing is just us-centered and it's obscured because it's so us-centered. And so, God, I just pray that that's not the case for us in this room. I pray that you do a work in us where you disciple us so that we, that we are good at discerning what is good Christian teaching from bad Christian teaching. And so, uh, God, we need you for this. I pray that... I pray that, that we would not just ignore this passage, but that we would pay attention to it and, and try to apply it in the ways that you want us to apply it. And so, God, we love you and we need you. Holy Spirit, please fill us in this task. Amen.